the Why Aren't You Famous podcast with me, your host, Ellen Cherry, and your other host, Andrew Grimm. Why are you laughing so much today? Um, I'm laughing because of the predicament that we are in. Right? What's the predicament? Why don't you describe it, sir? Well, okay. Well, for you podcasting people, you might not understand how this works. So I'll just I'll try to be brief, though. Uh, so we're recording on Logic 10 on a, a MacBook Pro from about 2009. Uh, we're using an API 3124 preamp. Uh, you have a Neumann, what is that? TLM 103. TLM 103. I'm speaking through an Audio-Technica uh, 4050. We've got Sony MD-150s on this cans. Yeah, man, it's, it's pretty awesome. And uh, so anyhow, when we were, this, is our, this is our second time through this podcast because the first one, as I was, um, I was, you know, we're coming down to the end of it and I was kind of finalizing a few things. Uh, the next thing I know, you know, Ellen Cherry is like, what does this button do? And she started like touching all the buttons and you know, we lost it. She coughed all over. There's this mucus. There's a layer <laughs> of mucus on everything in my house right now. So, dear listeners, the previous podcast was full of brilliant nuggets, and I talked about my bra. And yeah. we talked. She has a unibra on right now. <laughs> we talked about lots of interesting things. So we're gonna start anew. It's gonna be a completely new version of it. Um, yeah, we're not gonna. Re- we're rebooting it. Oh God. Huh. Huh? Okay, so today's topic, let's just dive right in. <laughs> you said that in the last cast, too. I did? Uh-huh. Okay. So on today's topic, we are still trying to uncover the reasons why we aren't famous, and maybe it's because we don't know how to save things to our computers. Yeah, think about all the think about all the missed opportunities we've had. Like, have, you, have you ever had a song idea? And you're Hold like, on, I'm thinking, because there's a lot of missed opportunities, and ooh. I'm going to have to sit here and reflect. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Let's start with your birth year. <laughs> Damn it. Um, anyway, so what was I saying? Oh, we're trying to examine the topic for today um, is history, mm-hmm. the history of fame or history. Or it was really wide rambling, long conversation. And maybe the second time around will be much more focused. Yeah, because I kind of feel like we just play the essays and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're going to listen to the essays again, are we? Yeah, we should be authentic. Uh, we should be authentic so then we can actually talk about it. Come uh, on. It's only damn like, you and your, your ethics. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, how, many, how many times is that being said in the White House right now? <laughs> right. Zero negative times. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Zero. Um, yeah, so the idea was to think about history and think about um, how fame either runs parallel or perpendicular to history. Uh, something about the concept of history and fame. Um, and, and what that means to, to you or what that means to me or, you know, just for the general good of the conversation. And um, since this is our second time through, but we are being we are being real is like, you know, we listen to the, the essays and, and I'm glad we're we're able to redo this because I was going to have to try to edit down all the really nice things that that Ellen Cherry said about my essay, how how, you know, convincing and smart it was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh-huh. I'll try to recall all the wonderful superlatives that I threw your way. Yep, yep. To- okay, <laughs> yeah, I think there's like one. That was interesting. <laughs> also, <coughs> on the second round, I'm still sick. I'm suffering from a cold. True, and we went to uh, <laughs> we took a burger break and went to Five Guys, 
which is something I haven't eaten in about four years. Yes, because the thing that you should do when you're suffering from a cold is destroy your body with terrible food. Yes, yes. Fast food. Yep. And I'm after that meal, I'm going to have some gene replacement therapy <laughs> with some new Levi's. Go up a belt size. You nice. Know yeah, you like that? Yeah? Yeah? Man. Yeah. There we go. Ladies, he's single. <laughs> Yes, I am. I am single. This, this is true. With those jokes. With the oh <laughs> wow, that hurts. That hurts my feelings. Yes, yeah, so let's just be sweet to each other, okay? So let's talk about the history, the topic. What was your intention by putting it into the spreadsheet and listening as a topic? Well, with all the other things that we do, um, you know, we have a conversation, we throw out ideas, and I think it was really the history thing was just a uh, kind of a brainstorm type of thing. I was like, oh, here are all the ideas. And then like, you just kind of filtered in and dropped it in. I never really thought about it after that and until you called and said, what do you mean by history? And I'm like, uh, I use that voice too. She does. It's exactly what she sounds like in case you don't know. Go ahead. What do you mean by history? <laughs> I don't know. Let me tell you about history. Well, um, yeah. Or is it your, like, was it that foghorn leghorn? Now, 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 just wait just a, wait just a second here, son. Let me tell you about history. Already this podcast is surpassing the last one. Well, yeah, the last one you opened up with that jerk who is now like going to sex addict camp or something. Oh, I talked about Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Yeah, what a jerk. Anyhow, that's enough about him. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve. He doesn't even need any more ink. No, he does not. Okay. So, yeah, the whole idea of the history thing was just kind of like, I don't know, maybe a brain teaser. Um, I, I really enjoyed writing my essay. I know I wrote it very quickly this morning before you came over to do the recording. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to listen to it a second time. Yeah, please don't, don't wander so much because you wandered. I wandered. You wandered. You admitted it. What? I, I, have, it, I have it recorded somewhere on my computer. <laughs> So. Okay, I'll be more focused. Okay. Play your essay, and I will be so focused on everything that you talk about. All right, sounds good. It's simple. Connect the corresponding dots to reveal a picture. Is it a pony? Is it a flower? Is it a healthcare waiver? Like plot points in a good narrative, our lives, loves, and losses are mere connect-the-dot puzzles that, only when completed, reveal who we are, how we win, or how we lose. Rarely is the picture complete before all the lines are drawn between dots one and one million. Keeping this notion in mind, the end result is a compromise of wants and needs balanced by unforeseen circumstances and self-sabotage much like fame in history. The very mention of the word fame conjures an image and story quickly and simply assembled in a one, two, three fashion. Anyone can recreate it by starting at step one and neatly scratching a line to step two, and voila, a true picture of fame comes together. However, it's probably not that simple. Human beings are messy creatures which lurch and careen through their lives, not following anything that resembles a straight line. Starts and stops are common in connecting the dots, but finding the dot for which to connect is the real trick to finding fame and immortality. Because it's all about the immortality. 
that's the big lie about fame, that that picture of neatly connected dots will somehow become indelible to all of humanity. The immediacy of fame and power will rest on the relevance and transfer from the now of the present to the then of history and cultural significance. The historical archives of humanity certainly sounds like a great image, and even the language we use to talk about it, tracing the history of, hindsight, reflection, all point to a bigger picture humankind can understand at a distance, not up close while it's happening. But as the moment has faded and drifted away, history becomes a rudimentary lesson of what to do and what not to do. But the idea and value of history is under attack, not actively but passively, as the American population loses its ability to recognize the relevance and function of historical events, figures, and documents. Connecting the past with the present is precisely the purpose of history. In addition, it is the only way to determine the direction towards a new vision of the future. But now, in the age of social media and the Googles, history is less and less internalized or even regarded. Why learn about something and its connection when someone can just look it up later on an unverified Wikipedia page? This pattern also applies to fame. As the artist striving for fame, you should be understanding your influences. You should be aware of what came before. You should be woke to what's happening now. You should be creating work worthy and relevant. Of course, that doesn't guarantee fame. And now, more than ever, we live in a world that pushes and celebrates reboots and mashups rather than original artists. But in a more cautionary sense, when comparing the predicament of history and fame, fame has been more damaged by the digital brain drain. Almost every piece of music that is popular is gauged by the click and the view and the share. In the end, it exists in a cyber nowhere or a digital cloud, an apt analogy, because when there is no physical artifact to preserve the moment or work, there is a risk that that voice or idea will dissipate into nothingness. Stream today and gone tonight. The dots to create that overly romanticized image of fame are not merely being disconnected. The dots for which to connect are they themselves evaporating. And without those dots, there is no picture. And maybe it is just that simple after all. I'm actually very appreciative of the opportunity to listen to your essay for a second time because it's excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ellen Cherry. You know what? I feel like we can continue with this podcast now. <laughs> now that you've had proper accolades. Yes. yes. So what I noticed on the second listening of it, and I really am I'm being sincere, um, I am actually glad for the opportunity to have listened to it a second time because I caught a lot more, you know, like the first, obviously the first listen through. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch as much. And that's speaking directly to something you've actually mentioned in the essay itself, that when something is more permanent, you have an opportunity to listen to it and evaluate it mm -hmm. over and over again. And we may get into that into the next episode, which is digital versus analog. But something that struck with me the second listening was the idea of legacy. 
So the only way that you can evaluate someone's legacy is after they have completed the work. Correct. So, and that can only happen truly after they're no longer able to do the work anymore. Dead. Mm -hmm. Right? So I have a friend who is really concerned. He talks about it a lot, his legacy, and that he works, it, it drives him to work harder on people's projects than they are likely paying, the amount of time that they're actually paying him to do. He works further and harder on it because he is concerned about his sound, his specific producing style, and his legacy. He wants it to be associated with high quality stuff and, and that showcases, like I think you and I both do, mm -hmm. the best that we can do at that time with the skill set we have. Um, and so it's interesting to me that the idea of fame and um, the fame the way that it is, it seems to me in American culture in 2017, is that it's so not derived from a body of work. Yeah. It's yeah. about, inst we've talked about this in previous episodes too, the, the idea of the instantaneous, like you're famous because of a scandal, you're famous because of an association to another famous person. Right. Um, you're... Um, famous because you are doing your work which is part of a trend or something right, that's right. a fad so i don't know that sort of struck me by your essay and and the idea of um relevance um and that for thinking and feeling and especially for people for i can only speak for myself actually that the idea of relevance is that of course mozart is still relevant to mm -hmm. me mm-hmm um, even though he's not a contemporary composer, right? Because of the legacy that he left, and his life, like all of ours, are not drawn in a straight line, right? Um, and his career path to fame was not a, you know, IKEA roadmap of like insert A into B and right. then can you know connect B to C. And even in even <laughs> in his death, it wasn't about fame. Because I mean, he he was wasn't he putting a mass burial with with other folks? I mean, I'm not sure. He may have died a pauper's he death. Died, you know? I'm pretty sure that's what happened uh, for him, and he had a hard time managing his money and some other problems. But but you know, somebody who is as grand and as famous, it's it's not really Mozart as much as it's his work. Yeah, that has you know that that idea of legacy, and I think that that's one of the things that we kind of if we look at the history of musicians or just even rock musicians, um, uh, go with the Beatles, which, you know, for disclosure's sake, I'm not a Beatles fan at all. I don't listen to the Beatles. I don't, whatever. I know they're important. So please don't send me an angry email saying you call yourself a musician. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter about that, but you know the Beatles left a legacy of recording and all the you know all the stuff that they did and and they didn't put out a bad record. But they also stopped playing in like what 1972 or three or whatever it is when yes 1972 because it was 64 to 72 eight years of recording together right. yeah and they I believe and they rarely played me. live you know so it was like but their their body of work you know and and, and from from a historical perspective. The, the fame that they achieved, they have they've sustained. I mean, still, like, they still turn Despite out like... Despite two members being dead, yeah. Right. You know, one being shot in, what, 81 or 82. 1980, yeah. Same thing. And, um, but then, like, so let's think about people who have a little bit more longevity. 
Um, or Bob Dylan, his his record output has been has been fabulous. But he had a few years where he didn't put out stuff that people liked. But I bet you Bob Dylan liked it. Yeah. You know that guy's exacting, man. He don't. He's he's not like he's like this, and then like he records a record. Yeah. You know he plans it and he writes it. Johnny Cash, who was completely written off, and then comes thundering back. You know a little bit later down the line, and I'm just, I'm kind of curious about like you know what they those guys were ignored because they were no longer commercially viable, I guess, and so you know their 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 importance in history at that point at the present as that history is being written is reduced right and now i mean bob dylan put out like ever since 2001 well i guess you say 97 with time out of mind you know every record he's put out since then has been really great and anybody who says like oh the sinatra records are stupid i don't know man like hearing bob dylan sing that stuff that's different than hearing like you know a a a 35 year old sinatra sing it yeah and definitely within the context of where we are, and uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that the relevance is what we, what we cling on to, and we are losing our relevance as a as a culture. We don't know how to relate. And one of the things that I was teaching in high school, and I'm now I'm teaching at the college, is, you know, how do you respond? How do you relate? We only create meaning by what we relate to, and if we cannot figure out if we don't understand the relationship immediately we have to work it's, it's our responsibility to work to find the relate r- relation or to create the experience where we can relate mm-hmm. you know and that's i think we're really losing that and i and i think fame really kind of hits that pretty quickly because it is the fad it is the momentary more than anything else and so basically oh <clears throat> i just i my speaking voice alar- um alarmed your kitty cat i think it was more your shoes my shoes moving yeah um that the to decide whether something is going to be famous or not well not even famous or not i guess maybe a better description of the topic that that we are talking about because of your essay is relevance lasting relevance and to you and me that's something that we feel is important and a worthy goal even though on a personal level, when my friend talks about his legacy, my thought is always like, who cares about your legacy? Because you're not going to be around to enjoy your legacy. Right. So why wouldn't you want to, like, what's wrong with me that I actually do care about the things that I'm leaving behind? Right. Um, When fame demands that you, to be famous while you're alive, demands something completely different, almost antithetical to that and 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 unnatural <clears throat> and what unnatural yeah it, it's on unna- because we're social creatures and and if you reach a certain sense of fame you can no longer be social not in any way that is any of us is, is ever unless you hate people <laughs> that you're comfortable with because you know those people are they're isolated from society because know? of the elevation because of the elevation and, that's and the a, expectation of perfection and right or, or the you know it's like it's the nascar of 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 pop culture you know you know i really don't care they're going around in circles i'm just waiting for them to wreck we were talking about in the in the lost podcast <laughs> yes. the, the digitally lost podcast about curation mm. and the idea of curating that um yeah your image on instagram and 
And this fascinates me too because I did a project or had started a project with my friend Molly about this really curious and interesting woman named Opal Whiteley who was a she became famous in the 1920s because of a serialized um, Atlantic Monthly um, story, a set of stories that were they were publishing her childhood diary, Ooh. which was this incredible diary that she had allegedly written when she was a young person, six, seven, eight years old, and it had all these fantastical references and Shakespearean names for woodland animals, and she had this um, very interesting way of viewing God and it present in nature. And as an adult, she was transcribing this diary for this publication and she became famous and it was later revealed that she was schizophrenic she ended up in a mental hospital Mm. in the uk after a a very very interesting life through the 20s 30s and 40s um but the most interesting thing to me was that it was a perfect time in the world for her to craft her own her own identity because Mm -hmm. in the 20th century especially around the 19 teens and 20s when photography was becoming more widespread people could craft their identities and start to curate their identities and one of my favorite and i think so effective at it and just like a wonderful person and so smart about it is marilyn monroe Mm -hmm. when when you start to really like watch her films and and see what a genius comedian she is and comic actress the perception of that she put forth as being sort of a silly person is so carefully crafted and just another role, it appears right. to me. And her intelligence, even being hidden from, maybe not even, maybe only revealed to like a select few people in her life, is is sort of obvious to me. Like I just think her, her, she specifically is fascinating to me because of that reason. I'm getting off the topic, I think, mm. a little bit, but. A little bit, but I, I you know, you're, we're, we're talking, talking about, about curating. Yeah. Curating. And wouldn't wouldn't that then make the argument that you know when we when we make a record we're curating? Yes, because you're selecting. So a live performance without rehearsal would be the ultimate <laughs> non-curation, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. No, it's it's still kind of like, but you're gonna tend to play only what you think you can play well. Esperanza Spalding did an interesting project a couple of weeks ago where she was going to go into the studio for 77 hours with her musicians and they were they it was really cool to watch because on Facebook they live streamed <laughs> they're all fighting <laughs> the rehearsal or the recording process it was uh-huh. fascinating because she's incredibly talented oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I thought that that was kind of interesting because the idea when you were supporting the project was that you're buying a blank CD and that they're going to put on it whatever gets created now they are going to do post-production and, sure. and cut and choose. It's not going to be 77 hours of like people walking in and out of rooms and right, it's going right. to be the best, but she was showing the development of songs basically. She wanted to sh- reveal the artistic process and like that type of, when I watched the video, it wasn't curated at all. It was just a person being completely vulnerable in front of us and mm-hmm. revealing her process. And I think about like, the idea of having somebody watch me and my artistic process would be so boring for most people. <laughs> totally boring. Because it's mostly just, just like sitting there. Like that's what it looks like because I'm a solo songwriter. So I just kind of sit there and like, but the in, in my brain, it's a fantastic movie. You know, mm-hmm. like I am involved completely in what's going on in my brain and my mind and what's bubbling up. Anyway, 
I feel like I have drifted completely off what we were talking about. Yeah, talking about yourself again. <coughs> no. Oh, all roads lead back to Ellen Cherry. They do, right? And so then, <laughs> then I wrote my masterpiece, something insanely <laughs> clever. I don't know. Is that my masterpiece? That's why it's the outro music. Oh, oh. Then my masterpiece is already behind me. <laughs> my legacy is over. Yep. Yeah. I can relax. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I've made it. You know, you could always do that that Doom Klezmer record you always wanted to do. You're always talking about that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. What else would you like to point out about your essay that we haven't <laughs> talked about yet? I'm good. You're amazing, I'm wonderful, my, incredible. Yeah, yeah. On the literally on the fly essay. On the fly, yeah. It was just uh, just moments ago, from a cosmic standpoint. <laughs> yes. That I did that. Um, no, let's switch over to your essay. Okay. And uh, I am looking forward to my second round of listening to your essay. Great. Although I listened very intently the first time. He says to me with a scolding look. Mm-hmm. I I'm just the reason I'm making that noise is I'm sucking on a cough lozenge because i have a is, cold. It, is it like what's it zinc here i was taking zinc earlier but now i'm just um i've got a, an herbal you know what i mean <laughs> i wish jesus christ when's that gonna happen wow okay so well, legalize it maryland anyway let's listen to me <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to more ellen cherry <laughs> i looked up the definition of the word fad and then i spied the synonyms for it some of the words listed were craze, vogue, trend, fashion, mode, passion, obsession, mania, rage, compulsion, fixation, fetish, fascination, whim. It also mentioned the informal synonym was the word thing. I like words. I like learning definitions and pronunciations. So when I read those words, my mind spun off into thinking about other words. There were so many synonyms for the word fad that seemed sexual, fixation, fetish. Also like lust, passion, compulsion, fascination, obsession. And then there were some that were more ephemeral, mode, trend, whim. I participate. After time and some distance, I can see that I saw a trend and maybe I wanted to play along with it just like everybody else. I see it sometimes in my own work, especially in recordings I've made, the times when I thought I should try to cop another person's style because it seemed to be getting what I thought was a lot of attention. And I'll be honest when I say that it was because I was probably too afraid or maybe just too limited on time to dig too deeply into a reflective posture. It was just easier to go along with the sound that I heard. When I've listened back to these recordings, I feel that I sound squeezed and restricted and not as free as I felt when I was writing or performing the songs in a live setting. I think I'm too close to the creating of music to really comment on my own tendency or my own resistance to participating in a fad or a style of music. So let me instead just reflect on pants. There was a period of time in my childhood when I wore pants and the cuff was just there. The cuff was simply the cuff of the pant and did not require further thought from me on what it looked like. Then, near the late 80s, by the time the fad got to Texas, all of my friends were pinch rolling their jeans. So I watched what they did and I also pinch rolled my jeans. When I see pictures of this fashion trend, I'll admit I'm confused, but I didn't think about it too much when I was doing it. Then, for a time, we were free of the pinch rolled jean 
There was the boot cut and the straight leg, the crop, and occasionally the flared leg, although it was just a slight flare. And then I would guess about 10 years ago, there was the arrival of the skinny jean. All of a sudden, I was thinking about pants again a lot more than I ever thought that I would. I spent some time and some money searching for a decent pair of skinny jeans because it's not as easy as you would think to find the right pair of skinny jeans. I eventually found a pair, but I don't wear them often, and it's not because I don't think that I look good in them, it's just that every time I wear them, I feel squeezed and restricted, and not as free as I feel in regular old jeans with a regular old cuff. I also see that this trend that seemed to be a type of retro fashion when it happened felt so quick to boomerang back on us. Hadn't we just seen similar pant styles only 15 years before? Where was the new thing, the better thing? Where was the thing that would be the thing and would last? I don't know. As I continue to search for a flattering version of this style, I hold on to the hope that it won't be just a trend, that I could be considered fashionable in skinny jeans for at least another two or three decades and not have to think about pants so much ever, ever again. I like that essay. You like it? I like it. I, I like it. Um, this is the second time around. Um, I, maybe we should listen to these twice. <laughs> <laughs> we do this, but so a couple things that like a- almost automatically pop out. Like your your intro, you're talking about the fad and the synonyms and the words, and you're looking it up, um, and then you categorize them, um, and then it's like I like to participate, <laughs> you know. So the the your you you set the you set the tone or the the you set the the listener up to to think okay we're talking about fads but I thought the topic was history so I'm ping ponging history in my head and I'm thinking about those words of all the short term ephemeral uh, um, uh, terminology that that you're investigating and you're thinking about but and then the next thing you talk about is is you know your records and and how the recording process and you you feel like everything's being squeezed and distilled into like this moment or whatever and that got me thinking it's like well yeah but our records your records and my records they're they're not just pieces of art but they're they're historical artifacts of the deal i mean that's you i can you could look at any one of my records and say oh that guy's really bad at relationships but you could also look at every record and say, oh, you know what? I, I, I knew him when he was writing this and that, that he was going through X, Y, Z. It's almost yeah. like an autobiographical thing. It's Diary like, entries, yeah. Yeah, Lou Reed had said that, um, you know, his biography was found in his in his, in his records. Yeah. Uh, or the great American novel is told over the series of whatever, you know, 18 records he put out over that over the course of his lifetime. And, and so I really, I really kind of dug that idea of, you know, not only being artists, but sort of being kind of a, a self-historian or a historian of of what's going on in in, in in our culture at a particular time or just in in our existence, which is a really kind of cool thing to see and kind of figure out. And then and then like switching over to to pants, uh, which is pants, um, which for all podcasters, when Ellen Cherry came to the session today. At the beginning of the day, during session one, she had rolled her her pants into cuffs. <laughs> I did cuff my pants, she and now did. they're uncuffed. Now they're uncuffed. 
Hmm. And these are skinny jeans. And I, I think this is Ellen, Ellen Cherry uncuffed. I think that's the <laughs> uncuffed the Ellen Cherry story. That's a right. that's a new book that's going to come out on the bestseller <laughs> list. But um, but you know she's you're absolutely right about the idea of of the the rebooting of the like when does where is the new thing and and when we don't need a new thing it's called a classic yeah you know classic cut or classic coke or uh any type of rock and roll song classic rock which of course i have my own arguments against classic rock because that's not i don't think that's based on the merit of quality that's based on the merit of i am unafraid to play this because no one will make fun of me if i'm listening to blue oyster cults don't fear the reaper I can listen to ACDC anywhere I go because nobody's going to say, hey, those guys don't rock because they totally rock. So it's a safe choice. And I think I think the, the, that's a little bit different. But um, and then. Yeah, because by the same token, wouldn't yeah. the, the Cure be considered classic? Oh, I guess that's pop. Well, I don't know. Those guys rock. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't um, want to take you off topic. No, <laughs> no, it's OK. It's all right. Um, but. It is it is true that we, as a society or as a culture, with the reboot sensibilities that we have, that everything's being rebooted because uh, I, I'm not blaming a younger generation. I'm blaming an older generation trying to make money off the younger generation because they're presenting to them something new that they don't think that they would like in the first place. But as I've, I've, I've spent some time with millennials who I think are pretty smart, and they might not get all the references, but... They want to watch Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. They don't want to watch Roadhouse with uh, what's her face. Who's the girl? The kickboxer girl got. They uh, read. They read. Ronda did, Rousey. They redid Roadhouse. She she was supposed to be um, the lead in the new Roadhouse film, but then she lost the title fight or whatever. Well, what about the reboot of Battlestar Galactica? Oh, ooh. that's a tough one though because it is tough because it was so much. Well, okay. Oh, ooh, the original ooh. I thought was I remember it being good. Yeah, have you watched it lately? I haven't watched it lately. You should watch it. It's bad. <laughs> it's really well because I got the same like they had they had both on Netflix <laughs> at, at the time. Yeah. And um, I was spending a lot of time alone in my life at that moment. Yeah. And I thought you know what I always liked that show when I was a kid, and I started watching it. And I was like, oh my god, this is like the worst show ever. <laughs> like it's really bad. Um, uh, their costumes are all like velour and. It's weird. It's weird. It's an odd. Okay, I'll rewatch. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the last thing that Lauren Green did, really, which is kind of sad. So the yes to your point though of the classic. Yes. The only way to become a classic is that you have to have been famous. Like the thing has to have been famous. Has to be famous. And then enough time has to pass has to pass that it becomes sort of like historical. Well, it's it not only that it had to. But it has to be novel. It has to be new. There's there's nothing that's classic that that isn't the first of its kind. Yeah, but okay, that's confusing to me. No, no, no. What, what I'm saying is it has to be. A, so Neil Young, right? Yeah. Nobody else is writing like Neil Young. Nobody else is playing like Neil Young. Nobody else is playing like Bruce Springsteen. Nobody else is playing like. Um, uh, Joni Mitchell. Yeah, they can't be classics because they're still alive. No, no, they 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 are classics because no, they they can be alive. I mean, time has gone by, right? We have yeah. that we have that luxury of time, but we also know that they're because they were doing something new. 
that's, 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 they have to make a mark. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, all you people who like Imagine Dragons, but I listened to some Imagine Dragons because I worked at a wedding last night and I had to play some of their, their, they will never be classics. What kind of music do Imagine Dragons play? What's crappy. What style though? Like, what? I don't even know. It's like people... some sort of DJ, like, okay. Um, it's like, uh, Thunder was a, we're gonna bring the thunder or some bullshit. I can say bullshit, right? It's a podcast. You it guess. is a podcast. I can say whatever I want. You can. That's right. Bullshit. Okay, so I keep hearing the name Imagine Dragons, but I'm too busy. Yeah, to I check imagine it myself out. doing something else when they're playing. <laughs> You're imagining dragons. Right. I imagine wagons. <laughs> Wagon wheels. I would rather listen to Wagon Wheel than listen to Imagine Dragons. So back to the topic at hand. I would sooner eat at Arby's. <laughs> I think the way that I approached the idea of talking about history was that I um, was talking about um, fads and trends. Mm. And yeah, and I think it's interesting that the way that we both approached it differently because I feel like your essay was more about legacy and relevance and mine was about how does something become faddish or trendy? Mm-hmm. Which is a betrayal of the only the only time that that becomes a historical thing is when we have a retro like, oh, you may have been a kid in the nineties if you remember, yeah, a Furby, and you're like, what a Furby? Oh, I forgot all about. Wow, yeah, my childhood. Yeah, I was miserable. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dad, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you're not. <laughs> I don't even know what a Furby is, but I it's, wasn't a kid in the nineties. So yeah, neither going- was I. I was a kid in the 80s. <laughs> I was a child of the 80s. Wait, weren't you also a kid in the 70s too? I was. I'm old. That's <laughs> right. Go ahead. Rub it in. Rub it in. Not that much but I, that, you know what? If I'm old, that means I'm closer to, to dying. And that also means that I'm closer to my legacy. You're closer to your legacy. Woo, yeah, woo. check it out, girl. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So yeah. in terms Jealous. of fame. Yes. Why aren't we famous? Is it because we're too focused on... Our legacy and not being currently relevant. No, because we're searching for future relevance. No, I don't. I'm a, I'm I'm pursuing the song in front of me. Yeah. You know, it's like I I look at my whether it's relevant or not because of the thing that you just said about Lou Reed. Right. That you and I are both and people that we probably admire and enjoy the most in terms of musical creativity and yeah. artistic creativity are searching for a way to accurately represent the snapshot of where they are. Right. Even if the, the, that snapshot that they're creating is something that they are hoping to be. Like you're writing something. I'm, I often write songs about like what I hope for myself. Right. Well, I, I, I should try that because I don't. You don't? <laughs> That's not my perspective of writing at all. I mean, I, I, I hear a turn of phrase and I start following that and I develop. I flesh things out beyond around that. Um, but I never really like, well, here's the thing. Like when we we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but in the the previous podcast, we were talking about a lot about relevance and, you know, the idea of relevance and and reflection and it's about self-reflection and you can't do that unless you have an artifact of your past. Yeah. And when I look at those, you know, when I go through the writing process, a lot of it seems like it's subconscious and maybe it's like my own like self-therapy session. Yeah. But years later, when I get separation from it and I'm able to look back on it, I realize like, I was like, oh, that's what I was writing about. Oh, man. Well, yeah, boy, I had problems then. Or, oh, I'm glad I got past that. And and the one thing that I think is really kind of, uh, 
Oh, well, I just lost my thread. There was so, well, so I have a question for you then. I'll come back to you. Yeah. Yes. If a fan comes up to you and says... Oh, a fan? What, what, if, you, if you're a fan. Okay. You're one fan. If my one fan. Yes. Your one fan comes up to you um, and says... And asks a question, or you get interviewed about what oh, you were yeah. writing about. Like, what yeah. was the song about? I've personally, I'm gonna, I'm not even asking you a question. I'm gonna say something first, and then you can reflect on your okay. answer. <laughs> Is that I, I will find. I think something similar to what you're saying, which is that I'll have thought that I was writing the song about something, but years mm. later, as I'm still playing the song live or listening to it as a recording or talking about it because somebody some somebody wants to talk about it because it affected them and they're like, I love this song from two albums ago, um, that you find yourself, yeah, the meaning of the song mm-hmm. is revealed to you. And that's right. like a deep, pleasurable experience for oh, me sure. because you're just like, wow. And I found this as a, I found this absolutely helpful. I'm a, a pretty ardent diarist diarist Mm -hmm. like I keep a diary and I have kept a diary almost my entire life probably since about the age of seven hasn't been consistent and there was a period of time uh, several years ago when somebody read it and I felt like I couldn't write in it and trust it anymore but that's a whole other thing yeah I didn't know about this yes it was damaged by that for sure um my dad somebody I know no Oh. It is not somebody you know. Um, it was it changed my the way that I keep a diary, but I I returned to it. <laughs> it's now in a sealed vault, so no. <laughs> guarded by by several dogs and yes. a trip wire and and a Malaysian man trap. Six passwords. Yes. Um, Punji sticks. <laughs> but to keep the diary and then to have to go through a traumatic experience, a heart wrenching experience, but then able to to go back and I had this experience in the last couple of years where I would read my diary from a couple of years ago and it felt like my younger self was giving advice to myself now. Mm. And I've, some of the songs that I've written have provided solace for me in that way that I've had a hopefulness about love and romance and, um, and loving. And it's like, Oh, that song was telling me something. I was wise at that point. And, and the meaning being revealed to me now years later is like, oh, cool. I can trust in myself. It's almost like an <laughs> right. establishment of trust in myself, like a reassurance, like, sure. oh, you made the right decisions. Right, don't right, worry right. about it. My past self is like, oh, don't worry about it. You're doing fine. Right. And that can be really reassuring for me personally. That's like a wonderful thing to realize about my own diary writing and music making. Sure. But I'm just speaking for myself there. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy. And I, what? I'm a yeah. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm a guy and I journal. Oh, you don't diary? I don't. I don't. I'm not a diarist because there's nothing that dire in my life. So. There's a difference between journaling and diarying. Yeah. Diarist, diary keeping. Oh, what is the difference? Okay, I'm sure. tell me about the tell me about the rules of rock and roll, please. <laughs> I'll tell you about the fucking rules of. Ooh, can I say that? <laughs> I don't know. You, you said it on the other podcast. <laughs> You're swearing. I don't hold back with that. Swearing a blue streak. <laughs> So a journal is an occasional, um, and you could do it every day, but it is writing about your emotional state, your mental state, trying to figure out. It's yourself talking to yourself. Uh A diary is a person watching themselves watch themselves, and it includes, it has to include external details. So you are recording not only what is happening in your mental and emotional state, but you're also recording um, historical facts, weather, Uh um, newsworthy items, things like that, because you are involved as a person in the outside world too. Like you are, it's, you're making a historical document, not only of yourself, but also of the world at large. That's the difference. A journal is basically a historical document or uh, figuring out 
purpose. So, so where where did you find these rules? Were they? Were it was they, defined to me by Edward Rob Ellis, considered one of the most um, famous and important American diarists, who uh-huh. I met in 1998 at the age of 87. Yeah, is he still with us? No, he died a couple weeks later. Wow, you killed Not him. Not related. <laughs> But he his, is his last his last <laughs> diary entry apparently was Ellen. Ter- I'm in his diary. You are not. He did. I met with him for three hours in New York City in 1998. We had a wonderful conversation. He mm-hmm. was unfortunately dying of, um, I think, lung cancer, emphysema. Ooh, but he had kept a-, a diary for over 70 years and he was a journalist and he was one of the first people who said, this is the way you keep a diary and it changed the way that I kept my diary it was no longer this personal for you maybe but that doesn't mean that I'm not you're journaling whatever who cares well here's the point of the (laughs) journaling is that when I reflect when I go back and which I never do but if I did okay once or twice I've I've gone back and reread my entries because like when I haven't journaled for a while I, I go back and you know kind of check in and say all right well it's still here or whatever yeah but i'll read some of those things i'm like oh i was an idiot oh <laughs> man i was stupid back then oh i would never do it's that not again. Re- it's not reassuring oh it's reassuring that you've grown since it's then. A, well yeah yeah i used to tell my students that like you know y- you start thinking like how time passes and how we, we 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 see each other like how we see ourselves and it's you know when i think about when I was 20, I was like, oh, man, I didn't know anything. God, I was an idiot. And now, like, I think about when I was 25, I'm like, oh, man, I was an idiot at 25. Are you kidding? I was stupid. But at 30, oh, I was a complete moron. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know anything was going on. In fact, if I could go back to when I was 35, oh, wait, I, was an idiot. I, I would throttle that guy. What was he? Dude, don't make that choice. And then 40, and I was like, and, and, and quite, quite frankly, last week, I, I was a complete moron. Yeah. So I guess I guess there there is this like really small, <laughs> tiny baby step growth, but the thing I wanted to say about um, God, I lost it again. <laughs> Dang it! Oh oh oh! No, it was the songwriting thing. It's like, you know, talking about talking about what the meaning of the song was as as it's revealed to you. At one point, I was writing when I first started writing songs. I wasn't writing from my own experience as much as I was trying to write like other people. Yeah. And I was kind of getting the feel of language and stuff like that. And then when I when I I I started writing about myself and I got tired of that. I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I was kind of kind of had a shift in writing around probably around um, Sugar Bird is when I was purposely trying to to not write about myself. And and then I realized like over years, like, no, it was still part of me was being written about. But then I started thinking like, well, am I writing from my voice or am I writing, am I singing to myself? And then am I singing to myself through my ex-wife's voice? Am I singing in her voice to her? And then it became this really like, like it's painful <laughs> when I think about those things. Because it's not why my relationships didn't work out, but it's like pretty, pretty heavy and part of who I am Mm -hmm. and you know there's there is some comfort but there's also a lot of like you know even the song I told you about today that I was writing you know I heard a turn of phrase but I was and I'm thinking about somebody else but I could easily see that I'm singing that into a mirror yes but don't you think that that's part of um 
Which none of that's a bad thing. No, none. I think it's actually a really good thing because some of the the music that appeals to, that you and I have shared that appeals to both of us about our our favorite great writers, great songwriters, are that they had the ability to. It, we don't, you know, I'm I don't know Joni Mitchell personally, and I haven't watched enough interviews with her if she's done her interviews or written about her process, but her albums are so descriptive of things that she does mm-hmm. and her reactions to things and and, conver- and they're very conversational and that is an amazing revelatory device that she used and so you've right. been maturing personally through your songwriting to realize that you are not just focusing on like I, I've got this to say right but I, I've got something to say but I've got a more reflective a, a truly reflective way of saying it right like I am writing as though I'm talking to myself in the mirror or I'm writing as as though I'm imagining this other you know ex-lover's voice talking to me yeah or um putting it into a character's voice of another person like Popa Mexico that's such a great song Ugh, and it's like I hate that song <laughs> you do not I can't stand. it's your freaking hit song <laughs> it's, well but well, this relates to our topic I think because sure. what we're talking about is having how do you how do we talk about history history has to happen over time passing right so the evolution of the two of us as songwriters um has to happen over a certain period of time that's dedicated to self-reflection and reflection in general and it does not lend itself to what fame means now right which is the now, 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 now. Right. Somebody, I don't even remember who it was a couple of years ago, pointed out that pe- people seem to be just listening to the voices that are speaking today. Right. And how dangerous that is. Oh my goodness. Because if you're just listening to people, if you if you have just arrived on the planet into consciousness, you know, and I'm not talking about babies, but I'm talking about people who are past adolescence. Right. And have started to look around and say like, oh, there's something outside of myself and other people and a world, if they're only listening to the voices that are talking today, it, oh. society is lost. Civilization is completely lost. Yeah, we're in a bad place. Because we have to have the study of historical texts and historical actions, and it's important. And I'm not even sure where I'm going with that with fame, but. Well, because uh, I know where you're going, because fame is, you know, it, it's all about the present tense. <laughs> Fame, fame is and what and what people try to achieve rather than achieving good solid work and that's not I mean that's a gross generalization there are lots of people out there who are doing really great work but they also don't get recognized and they also have a hard time supporting themselves and so therefore you know that process becomes diluted or whatever but you know when 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 we think about the idea that um, what is what is long lasting, what is indelible, what is what is significant in our culture, it, it almost always has to be something that you draw on from the past as part of your reflection. Because yeah. how can you create new, anything new, if you don't know what came before? And that's, I mean, I guess you could do it by accident, but that's also every, every serious songwriter that I know uh, is is very well educated when it comes to what other songwriters have done. And I guess that begs the question is that thing that, um, the bare naked ladies talked about. It's all been done before. Oh, what song was that? They have a song called it's all been done before. Oh, okay. And 
Is that, that the one with the Chinese chicken, 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 chicken? chicken? I don't know their their catalog very well at yeah. all. So <laughs> I guess they're not good songs. I just know the title of that one song, um, and that, that's not a commentary on the Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. but it the idea it of it being that um, basically people say there's nothing new. There's right. no way to create anything new because it has all been done before. Even the thing that you and I are doing with our careers and our lives is has been done before and so are we searching for the just like is fame just the flashiest way of doing of repackaging old things yeah fame is just a marketing ploy yeah that's That's why we aren't famous that's right so let's move on to the last section of our podcast which is where second to last sorry second to last second to last the second to last segment of our podcast is where we talk about um or we promote Something that we think should be famous. Right. And this um, episode's feature is... Uh, Maybe This Time by Matt Monta of yes. Columbus, Ohio. So let's listen. All right, here we go. Well, maybe this time I'm making it up. Oh, maybe this time I ain't. Now you don't believe a single word I've said But it always gets wet when it rains And the kitchen's staying quiet Now the daddy's been lying But ain't nobody talking like a saint So maybe this time I'm making it up Oh, maybe this time I ain't And maybe this time I'll get up and walk Oh, maybe this time I won't Well, I think I left some of my shirts in your closet And one of my black sport coats And the dog will keep barking till you take him to the market And distract him with an old soup bone So maybe this time I'll get up and walk Oh, maybe this time I won't time I'll yank on the ropes and maybe this time you'll fall and all the golden embers will follow down behind you making lovely crazy patterns on the walls and all your twisted screams from all your hollow dreams won't break a bit of gravity at all so maybe this time I'll yank on the ropes and maybe this time you'll fall time I'll put down the gun oh maybe this time it's true what was so entertaining is now getting boring and everyone agrees with me too I never thought that I'd be thinking that the ship would get to sinking and I'd execute the rest of the crew so maybe this time I'll put down the gun oh maybe this time it's true yeah maybe this time I'll put down the gun Before I shoot myself too.
clap, 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 clap. Matt Monta. Yeah, there he is. Old Matt Monta. So, yeah, Matt Monta's a really great songwriter. He's a good friend. Uh, we've played a uh, house show at his place. Mm-hmm. Um, did you play the tree bar with him? I did. Yep. Um, I've played the tree bar several times with him. He's a easygoing guy with a with a free spirit. An incredible head of hair. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That's pay per view hair. He has like Kendall hair. Well, no, it's like swarthy Kendall hair. <laughs> swarthy. Apparently, Kendall. I think about Matt's hair a lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> Unhealthy. He so. um, reminds me. Uh, I have this friend that I was uh, my best friend from high school. Who was in a terrible car wreck with me, but is okay. Don't worry. But Matt is like the Columbus, Ohio, like the physical version of that guy. Ooh. Yeah. So it's funny. Every time I met him, I'm just like, oh my god, I, you 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 feel like safe and and nice. Well, he is safe. I already know nice. you. He's a nice I'm sure guy. that's how he wants to be described as safe and nice. <laughs> nice is the worst word. Nice. It is. Man. Yeah, I like that song a lot. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard it before, and I just. The contrast between the whistling of a person who's casually talking about shooting a crew, shooting other people and oneself at the end of the song and... And the crew being his family. <laughs> you know, oh, that, you think the, that's what he was referencing? Yeah, the kids are getting quiet now. Daddy's been lying. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get that from it at all. Interesting. Oh, yeah. That's, a, okay. that's like, yeah, the first verse. Okay. That makes more sense now. I've only heard it twice now. To listen to it a few more times. Yeah. Now, of course, Matt would probably disagree. Uh, he didn't see it as dark as I saw, as I saw it, but it's, it's in my top ten. It's in my top ten. He all doesn't time. get to have control of how we interpret his song. No, he does which not. Which sucks sometimes. <laughs> but but the whole thing is is that I mean, you you once you write it and perform it and put it out there, you lose control of how people interpret it and, and use it. Yeah. And if you're gonna write about you know if you're using those context clues, it's pretty much so an easy connect the dots type of thing. Yeah. So, all right. Ellen Cherry's getting tired, ladies and gentlemen. I did um, just yawn. She just yawned, and then she said, yep. Um, so we're going to start to wrap it up. We <laughs> are going to be going on tour in March. We condensed the tour a little bit, so it's no longer going to be three weeks, cause, but it's going to be a week and a half, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that, which is pretty cool. And then one of the steps, one of the... Uh, I think it's actually longer than that. I think we condensed it from three weeks to like two and two a half. Weeks. Two weeks. Maybe. Yeah, I think yeah. it's two weeks. Um. We will be, uh, I want to talk about Indiana. Yes. And Indianapolis, which we'll be hopefully playing at Square Cat Vinyl, uh, which is run by uh, Mike Angel, who has his own band called Bigfoot Yancey. And uh, he's really, he's a really nice guy. Um, I have had two good shows at Square Cat and then one horrifying show at, uh, oh God, there's Mig <laughs> sharpening his claws on my feet. Again. Um, how, I know, he just, he just wants to be loved. Um, he was also trying to make our podcast authentic because in the first version that right. we lost, he also attacked your look. Yeah, oh, he didn't. It's not an attack. It's a. Oh, yeah. I saw the look in his no, eyes. Oh, you see, you're having a hard time differentiating <laughs> between attack and affection. <laughs> okay. You know, um, he didn't sink his fangs into me or anything like that. He's just trying his to. His hand sharpen. fangs. His hand fangs. <laughs> I just watched him hey, twice. Ooh, la, la. Your cat's got claws. What do you call them? Hand fangs. Hand fangs. You know. Oh, my cousin Donnie. He. Uh, no. No. No cousin Donnie. Uh, 
Anyhow, so Indianapolis, we're looking forward to that, and Square Cat Vinyl, and uh, we're gonna we're just gonna go ahead and wrap this stuff up. Um, Ellen Cherry, where can we find you on the internets? You can find me at ellencherry.com. And if you click on the store page, uh-huh. it will take you to Ellen Cherry. ellencherry.bandcamp.com. Right on. Where you can purchase almost all of my back catalog. There is one album missing from that that I need to find and put up there. Um, 2003's Redress, um, which is not up there. But yeah, you can get everything, including a cyber tour um, that I called Home Movies for five bucks, which is 42 songs by myself and Andrew Grimm, who's now going to talk about where you can find him online. You can find me at junestar.com, J-U-N-E-S-T-A-R.com. And you can also find us at uh, junestar.bandcamp.com where you can get almost all of our back catalog except for uh, the one record we put out called Redress. Um, just, I don't know where it is. Um, and then. Yours is called Red Dress. Red Dress, yes. Um, red Dress. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, we have a subscription service for $5 a month. You can get everything back catalog. We're going in the studio starting next week, next Sunday to uh, record the 15th June Star record. I, I lose Dang, count. Dang, you got a lot of say. I got, yeah, I got a lot of problems. I'm working them out. Um, and uh, yeah, you can get all that stuff. And plus I, I post a song a week. Uh, last year it was 52 original tunes, which you also get. Talk about bargains. And um, and this year I'm doing public domain songs. So reinterpreting and re you know rewriting a few things here and there. Very but, cool. But it's fun. So anyhow, thanks for listening. Take it easy. We'll see you next time. We're talking about analog versus digital. Which we don't know what that means. (laughs) Bye. See ya.